Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Hey everybody, welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake. I'm one of your hosts, Reza Aslan, and I'm your other host, Rain Wilson. Hey Rain, how's it going today? Pretty good, Reza, how are you? I'm doing very well. You know, I'm so glad to be doing this with you. Oh, every day that I get to host this podcast with you is a great day. Yes, yes. There's there's a video component on here. People can see that it's, you're not really rain. Oh shit, I forgot about the video. All right, uh, folks, uh, my co-host, Rain Wilson, is not here. He is currently traveling the world on Peacock's dime, going around, quote-unquote, in search of happiness. That's a real job that they give celebrities in Hollywood. They actually will pay you to go around the world and search for happiness. That's a a legit job. You dig ditches, rain travels the world in first class and and looks for for happiness, which is why I'm here by myself on the Metaphysical Milkshake pod. Uh, This is what it would sound like if this were just hosted by me and no one else. And, and since it is hosted by me, I get to just invite whoever the hell I want to on this show. And today I get to bring on one of my dear, dear friends, Joel Stein, who wants to talk about a subject that is very close to my heart. And that is the, the subject of anti-intellectualism. Or as we put it on the show, what's so bad about being smart? I mean. I feel like, you know, I worked very hard. I, I have a, a lot of degrees. I'm not saying that degrees necessarily make you a smarter person. No, no, they do. No, never mind. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yes, yes. Education and the, the fruits of that education make you a smarter person. Does it make you a better person? Obviously not. Obviously not. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about morality here. We're not talking about, you know, value but but we are talking about the fact that you know there are people who have spent their lives studying certain topics certain issues from a lot of different vantage points with the hope that they could actually do some good in the world with the knowledge that they have gained and i don't need to tell you that uh listen we live in a country right now that uh, has a very dangerous uh 
anti-intellectual, anti-knowledge, anti-education uh, string to it. Uh, this is something that I've you know discovered in my own personal life a lot. I get I get a lot of attacks uh, online on social media uh, from people. Um, you know, whenever I you know say something about politics or about religion or or what have you, those are two very safe topics of conversation. Um, and my guest Joel Stein has written actually an entire book on this subject called "In Defense of Elitism: Why I'm Better Than You and You Are Better Than Someone Who Didn't Buy This Book." Joel Stein. If you don't know him, is just an absolute national treasure. He is a, a very funny writer. He began his uh, career uh, writing and, and researching for uh, Martha Stewart Living uh, and then got fired by Martha Stewart. I believe she fired him twice in the same day. Uh, and then uh, began working for Time Out New York, eventually joined Time Magazine where he did uh, that final column. If you remember, there were these things that we used to have called magazines and you would like, you know, go to a store and buy them and stuff. And then they were like, you would, they were like physically handle them. You would hold them and like flip through these kind of waxy pages. Ask your parents. Anyway, for a good, I don't know, I want to say 20 years, <laughs> uh, Joel wrote a column uh, in Time Magazine when he would spout off about all kinds of different things, you know, about the world, science, politics, religion, arts, culture. Uh, and so he was, or is, I should say, uh, about as close as an elitist, an intellectual elitist, as we could find for the pod. And we wanted to have him come in and answer a, uh, a question for us. What's so bad about being smart? Joel Stein, thank you for joining. I was going to say us, but it's just me on Metaphysical Milkshake. I can't believe you're having me on. I know we're friends and that's why, but I am not of the caliber of uh, of your guests. And so I'm really honored and I'm more honored that Rain isn't here because he brings the show down. And he really I'd rather does. just talk to you. He really he you know, does, I, right? I've, I've thought this for a very long time, but he's just basically dead weight that I drag along with me. On he's famous, show. so I think that helps. Um, I mean, but you know, I first he was famous, right? Exactly. Yeah. There you go. So, can I bring something up? Oh yeah, please, please. Can do, I bring something please. up first? Is that bring is it, that rude? I'm, the, I'm, I'm do, acting. This is there's I'm no rules here. Okay. So I was thinking about how honored I am, honestly, to be on this podcast where Peter Singer has appeared. Yes. Who I'm uh, in awe. Of. I interviewed him once too, but there was something you said on that episode that greatly uh, upset me. Uh, okay. You said that you disagreed with his utilitarian point of view because if you were on a playground and you had to save one of your 17 children, you would let a thousand kids die and save your own kid. Yes. And we all know that's a, a human instinct. We all have. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's kind of one that we're a little proud of having for various reasons. It's a show of love. But the answer to that is, What's best for public policy, what's best philosophically, what's best for the world, isn't your human instinct. I mean, if we just went by our, our human instincts, the world would be a disaster. Like, we're supposed to control those through higher thought. And the higher thought is you do not save your child for a thousand other children. That's wrong. It may feel right, but it's wrong. 
This sounds exactly like something an intellectual elitist prick would say, right? Am I am I wrong yes. about this, Joel? I mean, this is that's why so, I'm here. Yeah, so it's a it's a perfect segue uh, <laughs> into into our our conversation. Well, look, the, the we, what we're going to talk about is you know anti intellectualism. What's wrong with being mm. smart? Uh, this is something that you obviously have a lot to say about, not just as a smart person, but as somebody uh, who has written this incredible book, which I love. It came out a, a little while ago, In Defense of Elitism, Why I'm Better Than You and You Are Better Than Someone Who Didn't Buy This Book. We we have actually talked at length about this book. I actually interviewed you uh, for this book yes. uh, some years back. Uh, in, in, in the front of a lot times. of old Jews. It was so. It was so nice Jewish of you, audience. and you taught me. You taught me a lot about how to interview people that night. Like I've, yeah. I've changed how I. I was just on stage interviewing Steve Martin, and I remembered a lot of things you did, which was you provide so much clarity. You like explained before we started what the book was and what the conversation was, and um, and you really made it clear to the audience what was going on. Wow, that, that kind of makes me feel good, and I really appreciate how you managed just to throw in that you just talked to Steve Martin. Explain to us exactly what what are we talking about when we talk about the elites, just so we, we're all on the same page. This is literally the thing you cleared up in front of the old Jews, which I, <laughs> I after I talked after you did that, I realized I need to explain what I mean by the elite. All right, let's see, let's see what you learned. Yeah, what I learned is I'm there there are two different kinds of elite that I talk about in the book. The one I celebrate, which I call the intellectual elite. Which, um, which are people who Rush Limbaugh would have said are in the the four off what do you call the four evil horsemen of uh, academia? I forgot how he phrased it, but he said these are the these are the evil people: academia, uh, media, government, uh, science. Oh, well, it's the fourth science. No, it was it science? Maybe. Yeah, I should look that up. But um, yeah, so that's the intellectual elite. And then what I call the boat elite are people who care about money more than ideas and care about power more than cooperation. Uh, they're people who kind of believe to, uh, they operate from their gut. And they always own boats and boat people are the worst people in the world. Boat and there's this fight right now between people. these two kinds of elite. The worst, right? Like the they're worst. so awful that we've agreed as a society, if they can get 11 miles away from us, they can do whatever they want. <laughs> That's right. That's how, the that's how they love they puns. Are. They they are obsessed with puns, and they put it. They write it on their boats. When they when they buy a boat, they take a a totally decent bottle of champagne and smash it on their boat. That's the first thing they want to do. First, yeah. Animals. Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home. How do they do it? They partner with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. It's expert-tasted coffee. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to get 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee, but there is a perfect coffee for you. Whether your friends call you a coffee snob or if you just know it when coffee tastes really perfect, Trade's real coffee experts personally taste over 
450 roasts, so they know exactly what to recommend for you. I've got I've got a couple of trade coffees right here. These are uh, what do you a couple got? of my favorite ones. Yeah, I got this one from Irving Farm in New York. Like, there's no way I would have ever known that this is my new favorite coffee. Like, where well, I'm not going to go to Irving Farm in New York and yeah, get their coffee. Who's I have to rely on trade anyway. I mean, it's really a, a pretty awesome service. And right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of thirty dollars off your first order. Plus, you get free shipping when you go to drinktrade.com slash milkshake. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz. It's actually a pretty fun quiz, to be honest with you, at drinktrade.com slash milkshake. And let trade find you a coffee that you'll love. That's drinktrade.com slash milkshake for $30 off. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. I like I like the way that you that you're constructing this. So, which one are you, by the way? Which, and which, I haven't constructed which... this. Like uh, Nietzsche constructs this. Um, Pareto, Vilfredo Pareto, who I talk about in the book, constructs this. This is this is a fight that's been going on for centuries between these two groups, and and they'll take, you know, they'll claim to represent the people in order to to get power, but it's a small group of people who are fighting each other in these two worlds. Yeah. So that's, that's the thing is like this whole, this whole way in which these elites kind of claim to be populists, right? What, what exactly, what's yeah. the difference between an elitist and a populist, just so we all understand. So in the book, I, I kind of narrow down to these four groups, but one of them is the, um, is the elite who are kind of pretending not to be elite, yeah. the populist elites, politicians, and in there, there, there could be politicians. They could be Rush Limbaugh. They could be on the me, you know, they could be the media. They could be Tucker Fucking Carlson. Elon they could be Musk. lots of people. But yeah. they're, yeah, yeah. I think Elon Musk is a great example. But they're people who come from the intellectual elite. They've probably gone to some Ivy League or equivalent school, um, and they they claim and, and in they have a legitimate philosophy about life, which is a very tribal, um, Roman, honor culture, uh, zero-sum power view. This Tony Soprano's kind of view of how the world works, which they believe, like a Putin believes, or a Trump, that they are honest because the world is corrupt and will always be corrupt. And they are going to be, they see that and they're not naive and they're going to go out and kick ass for you, the real people. There's always a real people involved in populism hmm. and some people don't count as the real people because they're not part of your tribe because this is a tribal way of looking at things and other people are part of your tribe and 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 aren't and they should be at least excluded if not attacked it's instinctually correct right like it's how we all think and operate without giving it too much thought so it's like you saving your kid at the expense of a thousand children is instinctually right when Sarah Palin talks about, like, I know in my gut what's right, and all these politicians and lawyers try and make it complicated so they can get what they want and skim off the top. But in the end, 
you don't need to know anything more than what's right or wrong to run the free world. Mm. And there's a part of us that just instinctually feels that's right. Does it also have to do with the sort of ways that we can undermine people with power and people with privilege? I mean, it feels like so much of anti-intellectualism is predicated on, um, you know, trying to uh, halt the acquisition of any kind of new knowledge, uh, specifically as a way to undermine those groups that have power, those groups that have privilege, by sort of painting these ideas as uh, irrelevant to daily life, you know, or or just or just flat out wrong. Yeah, I think newness is scary. I think a lot of the populist movement we're seeing everywhere. People talk about race so much, but I think it's actually more about gender and kind of switching or changing roles Mm. of gender. I mean, there's so much change going on that picking out one thing like race or gender or technology, it's all mixed together and making people or globalism and immigration, it's all making people freaked out. But also to take some blame, I have an extremely punchable face, as you know. And so I think- I've said that many times. Well, you've you've moved to punch me more than once, and, and that's not unusual. So there's something about having knowledge that can make people really smug in a really hateable way that just makes you want to get rid of them. Yeah, I mean, look, everybody knows that, but I think the flip side of it is that what is it about someone being smart and someone expressing their intelligence that that sort of feels threatening to to people mm-hmm. and we did we talked about you know that it, it does give you this kind of sense of powerlessness right that there is something to that um that it's a you know anti-intellectualism is a way of a sort of uh pushing back uh, against uh privilege you know and and the power of others uh but there's something about intellectualism smartness if you will that just kind of for a large swath of of the population makes them feel defensive and makes them feel like they want to reach out and and punch you know Joel Stein can you talk about that a little bit like what what is the threat that people feel by that i don't know i feel it right whenever someone tells me i'm wrong about something especially if it's like a decently held belief but even if it's not it's just something i think like my gut reaction my instinct is to tell them they're wrong and to push that idea away and it's just it just it's just work it's just change to want to change your mind is a lot of work um i think that's part of it i think there's a lot of insecurity about this huge complicated world and a need to feel like to simplify it in some way into a zero-sum game. Everyone thinks that every other industry that they're not in is can be solved by some simple idea they have. But as soon as someone like makes their industry sound simple, they're like, whoa, there's a lot more going on than what I do. And there's because they understand the complexity and what they do, but not what anyone else does. I call it in my book the meteorologist fallacy. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna uh, ask you about that. Talk talk about that a little bit. Meteorologists have gotten really much, much better over time. Like it used to be they were accurate within uh, 
three days. They're now really accurate within five days. But everyone's always saying how their weatherman can't be trusted and they get it wrong all the time. And it and it's like, yeah, weather is an insanely complicated thing. Like the fact that we're able to predict the weather at all is a miracle of science. But people are just are doctors. People are always like, my doctor didn't know what was wrong with me. I'm like, yeah, you know what they used to do not long ago? They used to try and balance your humors. Like, it's really impressive what they know now, but they don't know everything. And there's this entitled expectation that, like, if you get get it wrong once, you never know. It's like with elections, right? With polling, if it's a little bit wrong. Or, I don't know, I watch a decent amount of baseball, and now when I do it online, they tell you the percentage likelihood of winning, which is insane, right? Because you watch enough baseball games, you have a 90-something percent chance of winning by the eighth inning. And then something happens because you're watching enough baseball games where something's going to happen sometimes. And it just, you're, my brain's not able to do the math of this happens once out of every, you know, 10, 15 games. It just seems insane that my team had a 92% chance of winning and they lost. And this meteorologist fa- fallacy, we find it uh, in everything, right? Like if, if the, if the government was incorrect in how long, you know, it was going to take Afghanistan to collapse, then the entire, entire intelligence uh, apparatus is all shit. Um, if yeah. you know the scientists uh, screwed up their predictions about you know how bad COVID was going to be or whether yes. this particular mask was going to work as well as this particular mask, well then they were wrong. So then fuck them. They don't know anything, and anything any scientist says now we can just simply ignore. It runs the gamut. It's just a weird expectation that if you have a job, you know a. Th- thousand percent of everything that's ever going to happen and, and everything that is happening it's just like we're we're not at that level yet as humans does this seem to be I, i'm not going to say it's a uniquely american phenomenon because we obviously yeah. are seeing you know signs of this in large parts of the world but there is something quintessentially american about it kurt anderson's fantasy land is, makes this great argument that i disagreed with before I read it and agree with now, which is, yes, America is uh, was founded by and has been attracting some hardcore true believers of all stripes, of basically the Taliban of every religion comes here. And, uh, and yeah, I think we are, we are a huckster nation. But, but, but maybe I, it's, I still think it's by percentages. Other countries have this. They do, but 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 we we I feel like it's more pronounced here, and maybe it's because of kind of what what Kurt Anderson was saying. I was actually thinking of Richard Hofstadter, but one of the things that Hofstadter says is that you know it that it is it is fundamentally part of our American identity. You know that it's it's part of our national um, uh, sense of who we are as Americans, and it does kind of go back a little bit to the founding fathers, right? I mean, Ben Franklin, George Washington, uh, these were guys who constantly talked about, you know, the self-made man in opposition to like the enlightened intellectuals. And, you know, they, they, they created this mythology of like the American as a kind of rugged industrialist, you know, who, who started with nothing and through hard work became, you know, the, the captain of industry. When in reality, these were like wealthy, intellectual, you know, slave owning, uh, elites, you know, and this is this is from the beginning. This is this has been part of our identity. 
I feel like the founders were more steeped in the Enlightenment and were pretty pro intellectual, whereas the uh, the, the the Puritans obviously believe some crazy stuff. Uh, and he, but yeah, we we uh, we are the guys who developed snake oil. We're the guys, you know, we did a lot of that kind of work of saying don't trust the intellectual. Certainly, Jackson, uh, Andrew ja- Jackson was a big mm-hmm. part of that. Um, you know, opening up the White House, even even on his uh, his inauguration party was open to the public, and they trashed the White House. And then he, someone gave him a gift of like a a round of cheese that was so large he stored it in his closet and it just stunk up the white house like um there there was a big push against those original founding fathers like when john wow. quincy adams loses to jackson it was um oh the, the the what was it you could either have someone who's smart or knows how to fight like that mm-hmm. was the that it was if it, it rhymed so i'm getting it wrong but that was the the argument john quincy adams had and when jackson won everyone just like packed up their bags so like this country it, it's over it's kind of like when trump won right like that's the feeling i had i was gonna say that sounds kind of familiar i'm sure yeah. i'm sure that the biden folks found like a giant wheel of cheese in a closet somewhere <laughs> in the oval office no like, you think he eats cheese it's just KFC and, and just McDonald's. I guess there's of, cheese in those things sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bucket of chicken somewhere underneath the the resolute desk. Um but I mean again, I think you know, going from Jackson to um uh Trump, it's just, you know, further proof that this this kind of strain of anti-intellectualism has been part of the American identity for, for a really, really long time. Isaac Asimov has this really great line um, where uh, he once wrote, the strain of anti-intellectualism has been nurtured by the false notion that democracy means that my ignorance is just as good as your knowledge. And so maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's it's that sort of concept of, you know, one person, one vote that we're all we're all supposed to be equal somehow means that, you know, ignorance and knowledge are that have that they have equal value in society. That's exactly kind of what got me working on this. I started when Sarah Palin was nominated as vice president. She started saying things that really scared me. And that's when I started writing about this in time, and that led to this book. But yeah, she was saying pretty overtly that like I, my gut is more pure and more right than than anyone's knowledge. So therefore, I'm more capable of dealing with Russia, and I'm more capable. Even though I don't know where these countries are, who the leaders are, I know right from wrong, mm-hmm. and and that makes me superior. And then around the same time, Joe Biden was when Joe Biden was vice president. That some I'm forgetting who Sotomayor or somebody was uh, nominated for the Supreme Court, and Matt Lauer was on the Today Show ta- interviewing Joe Biden about it. Like you, he was like basically, if you, this woman gets on the Supreme Court, it'll be nine people who went to Ivy League schools. Like how how is that representative of our country? And so Joe Biden immediately was like, I went to Syracuse, and I was like, what? Right. We're having a contest to see who. <laughs> This is this, this is an incredibly intellectual pursuit. If we were to pick one thing, it's like, how come all your physics professors went to college? I'm like, it's the Supreme Court. We, can we get a pass at least for that on being an intellectual? But everyone was, everyone has to now be, and it happened actually when Nixon was president, there was this guy, uh, 
Aruska, who was nominated. I think he did not pass the Senate, but his defense for not being that smart was like, don't, don't not smart people deserve a representative on the court? <laughs> and I thought that sort of drives me crazy. Well, so th- this, you bring up a really good point because I think sometimes we think of anti-intellectualism as being, you know, uh, primarily something that you see on the right, but no, you, you, you argue that you see it just as much on the left as on the right. In what ways do you see it on the left? Oh, it's the same. It, it, it horseshoes around a bit on corruption. That, that it's the same idea that the, there's um, some people who know, who maybe are too intellectual, aren't representing the common man because they don't have the, the work experience and they are, they're kind of corrupt and lawyerly and, and keeping it to themselves. I mean, I, I guess what I'm talking about is, is it the same kind of derision toward uh, education and knowledge? Like Bernie Sanders has that that economist who works with him who believes in it's a belief that interest rates don't matter, right? Mm-hmm. And it's this kind of radical rethinking of economics that's very far left, but also is kind of just wishful thinking, and and um and that's the kind of stuff that kind of on the left bothers me. That it's like all these economists are kind of corrupt and they're all from the same schools and they all believe the same things. Mm -hmm. And the thing is like, sometimes that's true. Sometimes a bunch of people believe something and there's an outsider with an idea and it's the right idea. And then everyone everyone readjusts, right? But that's not, that's not the common way that, that knowledge gets increased. Usually it's someone very much from the inside who has an idea. Uh, But, but we have this love of the idea of the, uh, the, the kid with a telescope who discovers Pluto. Um, but that's not usually how it goes. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. I guess I was thinking uh, more sort of about the way in which you get, you know, the kind of anti-vaccine uh, movements both oh, on God. the left and on the right. Oh, you Robert know, Kennedy kind Santa, of stuff. Yeah, or like or Santa Monica. You know, you go to you go to Santa Monica over here in L.A. and it's like <sighs> half the population is is unvaxed because that's part of it, right? It's this idea that like, well, I know more. I know more than the doctors oh do. Yeah. I know more than the scientists do. And on the right, it's you know we laugh at it because you know the the person's like, yeah, I did my own research and I know that, you know, it's Bill Gates is trying to get you with the vaccine. And you're like, well, that's just stupid. That's the People accent on the that right gets you talking. punched. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. That's exactly the, the, the punchable face part of this whole conversation. But on the, then you get it on the left with people who, you know, in 
other parts of their lives seem to be very fairly rational and and maybe even well educated, but the, they not. make the exact same argument. Have you, I've I've been to the Goop convention in New York City for two days, um, <laughs> and the stuff that they the amount of detoxifying it turns out your body needs until about five o'clock when you drink at the Goop convention, <laughs> putting like the worst toxin known to manage your body, um, or one of them. No, yeah. So did you go through this? I went through this when we had. Uh, well, you must have gone through this. 12 or 13 times with all the children you have. But I um, first encountered this. We had this doctor, this pediatrician in this adorable, cute little house right near us. And he was a great, great guy. Turns out he was Heidi Fleiss's father, but he'd been practicing (laughs) for decades in LA. But it turned out he and his partner, who had since moved to Santa Monica, did not believe that AIDS was caused by the HIV virus. They were so far left, wow. right? And I was like, I don't think I want my son going to a doctor who's got beliefs in, in science that aren't true. And then my lovely wife, Cassandra, was a little concerned about giving our baby all of these vaccines. You know, this is, this sure. is he's 13 now. So this is long before COVID. And so I was very upset by this. Just like I'm very upset by what GMOs is another crazy thing the left was worried about. So I brought out, she's got me to agree. I think we paid to go to some kind of auditorium and listen to like some anti-vax lady. A lady is the, is the most sexist thing I could <laughs> add on to this um, person of some gender. I don't remember. And so we go uh, listen to this person and uh, they are spouting nonsense. And I'm a, I don't get very emotional. And so I raised my hand to ask a question because this has been this specific question had come up between Cassandra and I. And I said, if we um, put off the hepatitis vaccine for our son and he gets bit on the playground by a kid who has hepatitis, um, is that is that a a way that kids can get it? Um, And she said, um, I see way more cases of people that get I don't know, some crazy disease, scurvy or rickets or something from getting the vaccine than I do from kids who catch hepatitis. I was like, okay, that's not my question. My question is, is it possible that if he gets bit, he would get hepatitis? And she said something super dismissive, which was like, if that's a worry for you, then go ahead and do it. I'm like, not asking about my worries. I'm just asking about the science of it. Like, is that a way? And, and she dismissed me again with like, if you're going to be worried about that, then then, you know, and I walked out, like I stormed out, like wow. it was an awful movie with Cassandra. And um, and then we got our son. We spaced them out a tiny bit, but we basically got him vaccinated. But I have very smart friends who are very far left who do not get their kids vaccinated. Is that this kind of human impulse to say, my gut, like you were saying, my gut is right and I don't care you know, what your, your brain says. I, I only listen to my gut. My gut is right. And I'm going to go do my own research. <laughs> do my own research. Which by the way, that, fr- that phrase, uh, it, you know, sounds like you're in, sounds like you're, you're in a lab somewhere doing some real science, yeah, exactly. right? You're, you're Googling, <laughs> right? Research. You're doing stuff you wouldn't even yeah. count as research for your I book mean, you were writing. No less doing no, your own research. No, yeah. no. Joe Joe Rogan doesn't have a lab coat on. He's not like he's not <laughs> looking through a microscope doing his own research. It means like he's not even yeah yeah yeah. No, but 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 it, in in that case, it's just it's funny because 
you know, this idea that that so much of anti-intellectualism has to do with the feeling of powerlessness, you know, which I which I think is right. And this feeling of, you know, oh, uh, you think you're better than me because you're more educated than me. But when we see it on the left, when we see it, you know, amongst very highly educated people, it kind of pokes holes in that theory a little bit. And it becomes a little bit more about this, like we, you were just saying a little while ago, this kind of human impulse to um, to give a kind of shape to your fears, right? To, to talk about it as intuition instead of intelligence. Yeah, what bothers me is that we have this insanely impressive society that we have no appreciation for. We just sit around talking about how the weather people, the meteorologists suck and our doctor doesn't know what I have. And like, I wish we just all had to go on a time machine to any other time period and just were in wonder about what we have. And like the fact that people worked to create this. And instead, we just seem to see the problems in it and think it's all corrupt. And that people just, the assumption that everyone is doing everything for monetary gain is so messed up. Like, I know there's a lot of people who, are that way and think everyone else is that way, but it's just not true. Like if you've interviewed politicians, <laughs> you may not agree with them, but they're not all corrupt and doing things because the NRA gave them money. Like they really are dedicating their lives to, at least in their own head, improving the world. Like maybe they like power, maybe they, you know, there are other things that drive them, but it's the, the idea that they're all corrupt is so screwed up. The best is the best is when you hear this about like scientists or something. Oh, oh those guys on the CDC, <laughs> they're just, you know, they're just in it for the money. Because <laughs> that's exactly what that that poor nerd at the CDC is thinking to himself. I'm going to make up some lies about a vaccine because that's going to make me rich. Anthony Fauci waited 70 years, <laughs> plotted and planned <laughs> to finally get his way in working with Bill Gates. Yeah. But, you, but I see it like I live in this super liberal part of L.A. And I see like fuck Fauci or Bill Gates is in your brain or I see these like um, graffiti everywhere. Yeah. As uh, as Rain, I think, has said a couple of times on this podcast, like we already have a chip embedded in our brains that follows us everywhere and knows exactly what we're thinking. It's your fucking phone. Yeah. So we already have that. <laughs> and by the way, there's a million buttons you can press to at least improve the data privacy of your phone that you have not bothered pressing <laughs> Hell as you, no. as you yeah, worry about would, the vaccine. That would take like minutes. Um, and I've done my own research. So, so Rain must believe in some crazy left-wing stuff that's anti-science. For yeah, sure. Yeah, he's a, he's totally a anti-vaxxer, flat earther. Um, <laughs> he's, no, I don't. <laughs> we can't <laughs> I won't. I can't. I can't spill my uh, my co-host's uh, secrets when he's not here. Look, if he doesn't show up, he doesn't show it up. It is, yeah. But this is this is an important point because you know we're we're laughing about this, and you know we're making fun of people because that's what we do as intellectuals. We make fun of other people. Um, but how concerned should we be, you know, about the rise of anti-intellectualism today? So much more concerned than we are, uh, and. and <laughs> People forget that like progress is not linear, that the, yeah. the, the dark ages, middle ages, whatever we call them now, lasted a long time. There was a long time in which 
humans on the planet couldn't do what their great-great-grandfathers could do. Like literally couldn't make the tools. The, the information had been lost. I mean, the, uh, Elon Musk is insane. But when he talks about needing to go to Mars while we still have the ability, the knowledge to get there, this is what he's talking about. I mean, maybe talking about nuclear war, but but societies, it's not pure progress. People go backwards. People make very bad choices. Um, and And certainly we can think about societies, you know, not the Middle Ages, but more recently, like Cambodia, that just got rid of all their intellectuals, you know, took off. If you had glasses, they just shot you and put you in a, in a pit. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you could read, they killed you. I mean, they set their society back. Who knows how long? You know, generations worth. That, that's, that society is not going to catch up for a long time. So, yeah, we should be super worried. Yeah. And by the way, when you get these, like, when you get governments that are anti-intellectual and tribal and are, are both elite, the, the odds of going to war really increase. But you, I'm just thinking Putin is a great example of what happens when you get those kind of people. They, sure. they, if you have a zero-sum game, you're like, let's invade Crimea, let's invade Ukraine, let's buy Greenland. Like You have a very simple notion of, of the world being like risk. Right. The board game. <laughs> In the process of writing this book, you, you know, traveled around the country and you, you met with a lot of you know, different people, a lot of, a lot of Trumpers, uh, uh, a lot of the kind of anti-intellectuals, uh, you know, mostly on the right, but, you know, some on the left as, as well. Uh, you went to, a, uh, you know, a town that was basically like 98% Trump voters and, and kind of got to know them. I think you were the first Jew that they'd ever met. You may have been the first Jew that ever stepped foot in the town, actually. No, that was the weird thing about this town. It was the county with the highest percentage of Trump voters in 2016 in the country. That's why I went to this uh, county. But um, they knew so much more about me than I knew about them because they watched TV and movies and they all seemed to know some, someone knew, like, uh, was it went to college with some Jewish person that worked at, like, some food website in Manhattan, and yeah, they knew they knew Jews. They had a Jewish teacher in the school in the town at some point. So they all they started singing the dreidel song to me at some point. It was bizarre because <laughs> my mom and and like my dad and everyone were really they got me really scared before I left. Like I thought I was really nervous, like super nervous about going to this town, like for my safety. And they all told me not to tell anyone I was Jewish. That was the first thing. Even my non-Jewish friends were like, just don't tell them you're a Jew. Well, with a name like Joel Stein, you could be anything, honestly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, I. You would have been in some trouble there. <laughs> yes, I, I, I would have. <laughs> Although I can talk Jesus pretty well. So like, well, you know, once you can talk really Jesus, well. and get in easily. I went to church with them. There was a lot of Jesus talk. Um. I thought that's what you were going to say, why they knew about Jews. They're like, oh, yeah, they, they knew about Jews, like <laughs> Jesus. Um, you also met with the the Dilbert cartoonist Scott Adams. And I and the only reason I want to bring this part up is because you know this about me. I fucking hate Scott Adams. I loathe that man. You would love him in person. I'm serious. The way that he comes off in, in your book is exactly the the douchebagginess that I would assume from him, this kind of ridiculously rich. Who did you hate more in my book? Scott Adams or Tucker Carlson? Two people I spent a chapter talking to. Amazing. Okay. Yeah, for sure. What do you hate so much about Scott Adams? 
Yeah. I mean, and, and if I, if I saw, if I was driving, you know, down a dark road and I saw Tucker Carlson in front of me, I would speed up and I hate Scott Adams <laughs> more. Uh, <laughs> because Tucker, Scott Adams Tucker's Dilbert playing cartoonist. a role. Tucker's playing a fucking role. Okay. Tucker Swanson is just that. That's just a, a, a persona <laughs> on television. Uh, but I don't know what Scott Adams. Well, you call him Tucker with. Swanson because his uh, he comes from Swanson Dinner Money, like his stepmom yes, is exactly. the Swanson. Is that right? Yes, that's okay. right. Yes. Wait, so tell me, uh, tell me why your hatred of uh, Scott Adams is so intense? Because this douchebag. But this is for everyone. This is the guy who is the creator of Dilbert, the cartoonist who created Gilbert and still does Dilbert. Yeah, but he goes on Fox News a lot and talks. Yeah, and he and he from his perch as a multi multi you know millionaire who you know lives in a in a mansion cut off from you know the the worries of of the world. He espouses this like bullshit primordial manhood uh, that mm. you know that has as its core this idea that you know his own beliefs. Right, just the power of his beliefs, because uh, primarily uh, because of his wealth. You get this a lot with, with like people like Elon Musk and people like you know Donald Trump. You know, it's like you're rich, so therefore you're better. You know more simply because you did something that made you money. In this case, drew a fucking cartoon. Um, but that because of that, his beliefs are just more valuable than any kind of gained knowledge. Right, any kind of just, just by definition, the fact that you gained your knowledge uh, is is suspect in some way, and so you know he's he espouses these ideas, these policies that are actually you know not better for for the the kind of people that he insists that he is you know championing, which of which he does not belong. Like he's not part of that group. That he's championing, and he just to me represents, and 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 I would definitely put Elon Musk in this category. I would definitely mm -hmm. put like a Jeff Bezos in this category. I would definitely put Peter Whoa, Thiel okay. in this category. You know, these like sort of like the 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 pantheon of douchebaggery um, that uh, that you know espouses this view that because they have been you know monetarily successful that they their ideas about the way that the world should work uh are better than people who have actually spent their lives focusing on those issues and gaining the knowledge and the education and the intellect necessary to actually affect real change i think that's that's what just crawls under my skin about this guy so one of the ways i define the intellectual elite versus the boat elite is that I forgot how I phrased it, but if you were given the option between a free boat or a TED talk, you would definitely choose the TED talk, right? Like if you could give a TED a really good TED talk, you'd much rather do that than have a yacht. You mean if I if I was if able to give the TED talk? Oh yeah, yeah. No, you would give a great TED talk. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, you don't yeah. want to go to a TED. Talk. No, fuck that. No, I'm not going to a TED, TED talk. No, you're not gonna watch someone else talk. No, hell you're no. You're gonna give a TED talk that's that's really well received, way that's better right. than a yacht. Or own a yacht? Yes, I, I would choose the TED Talk. Yeah. Why? Do you know right. someone Am who I, can help me? Get Because uh, I would be really... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go ahead. How many TED Talks have you given? Uh, one, by my, one by myself. And, uh, and then I gave, a, I gave a couple's TED Talk. Just my wife and I. I saw that. Yeah. Gave a TED Talk. Yeah. yeah. 
that might be that might be four yachts worth a couple's TED talk, a power couple TED <laughs> that talk. A, that's, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm curious how the 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 writing of this book changed your views on the the sort of anti intellectual um, fervor in America, and uh, or did it did it change your it views? Did it make you think differently about it? It made me. It did change my views. It um, made me less scared of the right as human beings, not less scared of their policies, um, but I think. As people, they weren't as backwards looking as I feared um, and as mm-hmm. angry as I feared. Um, it also it put this thing in my head, which you're not going to like, which I have since called the Republicans are right about everything. And <laughs> it just made me <laughs> rethink lots of things that these people said to me, I outright rejected and had been outright rejecting for decades. Things such as the New York Times is biased, right? Mm-hmm. And I know having worked at Time Magazine forever, Time Magazine is biased. And I would always say, yes, everyone I work with is liberal. Sometimes we make story choices that we shouldn't because those are the things we're knowledgeable about and interested. Um, but in general, we are really good at keeping bias out of our stories. I don't think that I, the little I watch of CNN and the, the lot I read of the New York Times, I just don't think that's remotely true anymore. Mm. I think they were right. And I can say, and there's about 10 things that I've kind of opened my mind up about. What else? Tell me um, more, because this is fascinating. I keep, I'm afraid to write this piece, right? Yeah. But um, because, because my friends are going to be so angry. Um, what else? <clears throat> oh, I think, I think there's a lot of people on the left that throw out racism as an attack. Um, when it's not necessarily either true or warranted, and it's just a useful, um, it's just a useful attack more than an insightful truth. I think that happens a lot. I, for instance, like the, the the right used to talk about how cities are being overrun with homeless people and crime, and uh, I remember I was once at this. I was at Politicon doing something and James Carville and Sean Hannity were debating <clears throat> and Carville was getting crushed because Hannity is a professional debater. Mm-hmm. Like that's all he does all day. And at some point Hannity was talking about how San Francisco is a horrible place to live. And Carville had this amazing comeback, which was, he's like, you're totally right. Nobody wants to live there. It's so cheap to get an apartment. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, you're totally right. San Francisco. However, like, you know, from living in LA, I argued against, you know, the, the, the problems we've caused and, and society's caused in cities are real. I think everyone's acknowledged that, that they didn't maybe six years ago. Is this all your way? I don't know. I have a little list in my head. Is this all your way of admitting that you are now an anti-elitist? No, no. I believe this. (laughs) That's the thing. I believe the solutions to all these problems are intellectual solutions and they're, and in fact, the resistance to the solutions, first of all, these problems are highly complex. So there's not one solution. And I, I'm not, I don't want to advocate some, some simplistic version of how these problems are solved. But the pushback against some of these solutions, which is like one of them is build a lot more housing. Um, it, it, you, get, you get a pushback that's very anti-intellectual, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, people just don't like housing in their area. Is there 
I mean, this is kind of the the last question I have, I guess, on this topic. But I'm just curious if you think that there is any way to push back on, you know, what is, as you rightly say, an extremely dangerous uh, trend in American politics and American society, uh, especially for us intellectuals. Like, sh- you know, or should we just, <clears throat> you know, l- f- learn how to do defensive fighting skills uh, and be ready for the end that's that's coming around the corner. Uh, we will lose that fight. Like, the, there's no fight the intellectuals will beat the uh, the bodily at that's physical. Like, we should just, that's not in the playbook. Just run. Just like with any any kind of violence, we should always run. Um, in the in the original version of my book, which is, did they do this to you for the paperback? Make you write extra chapters? Yeah, yeah. yeah. For free, right? For free, yeah. They're like, I think I think you what need a it? new what? introduction and maybe a new final chapter. And I was like, that usually costs money, but all right. We got to unionize. If this is a new. This didn't happen <laughs> with my first book. This is a new thing. Anyway, they bullied me into doing that. So the, my original book ended with a really unsatisfying answer to your question, which is we should be less smug and people will listen to us more. <laughs> which is not completely, which is not completely untrue. It's a decent strategy. But I have a sli- I don't have a very satisfying answer at the end of the paperback, but it's slightly better, which is I think we failed to tell a compelling story of globalism. Mm. So religions told a very compelling story that banded large groups of people together. Nations told a really compelling story that banded people together. I don't, I mean, the best we've had to ban the globe together was like oh, John Lennon's Imagine or like when Coca-Cola wanted us to teach the world to sing. And that, by the way, those were both like 50 years ago and they both sort of were simplistic dribble. But I think we need a real story that that connects the globe and how cooperation, because globalism, which neoliberal globalism has been such an improvement for the planet. If you look at rates of of extreme poverty and all the horrors that come with that, I mean, we've we just saved so many people just by just through globalism, just through through international trade and through um, you know be able to move information around the world. So I think there's a there's a compelling version of that story that where we think of ourselves as a planet instead of a country or I don't know like whatever tribes we're now kind of devolving into. I don't know that story. Yeah. You know, on the one hand, that's actually a, a pretty satisfying answer. On the other hand, we have a rule that whenever someone brings up neoliberal globalism, the interview's over. So that's the that's yeah. all the time we yeah. have for you now, uh, Joel Stein. That's that's a it's, good it, rule. Is that Rain's rule? Is that it's my rule. rule. The, 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 when a guest brings up neoliberal globalism, that's it. Conversation's done. Uh, Joel Stein, this has been so fascinating. Thank you so much for uh, for you know coming on with your smug, punchable face and explaining why you're so smart and everybody else is dumb because they uh, listen to their gut instead of your intellect. I really appreciate that. When Rain calls you tonight and says, what did I miss? What did I miss? What are you going to tell him? I'm going to say nothing. That's exactly. <laughs> That's about right. You, you miss Good. nothing. Okay. Uh, the book is now in paperback. It's called In Defense of Elitism. It's very, very funny and very enlightening. Joel Stein, thanks for uh, for joining us on The Milkshake. Yeah. And, and I just want to say when a humor writer writes a book about politics, 
things are bad. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to get much worse, but I hear that. Ugh, I hope not. I want to go back to writing about my penis. Wow, that was a, a great conversation. It sure was, Reza. I agree, Rain. I thought that that was really good. I, I thought I would say better than our usual episodes. Oh yeah, I just I just make things worse. I think I thank you for saying that, Rain. I I didn't want to say it, but I'm I'm really glad that you did. And and also, you know, your voice it, it sounds very authentic. Uh, this particular episode. Yeah, thanks very much, Reza. Uh, I'll just go ahead and, and close this out here. Folks, if you want more of life's uh, big questions, it's very easy. You can find us on social media at Reza Aslan, at Rain Wilson. Uh, we're on Twitter at Meta Milk Podcast and on Instagram at Metaphysical Milkshake. Uh, let us know your life's big question. We just might explore them on a future episode. And remember to follow, rate, and review Metaphysical Milkshake on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's true, Rain. Thank you for that. Uh, and also, don't forget that you can also subscribe to the Metaphysical Milkshake YouTube channel and watch our full episodes every week. See you next week, everybody! See you, Rain. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Paris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. Original music by Jeff Tang. Kurt does such a great job. It's a fun read. It's basically the history of America through hucksters. And it's, hey guys, um, why can we can we just get Kurt instead? Well, Rain will come on if Kurt's here. Rain will hundred percent be here if Kurt's on. We, we've already we've already run the tape, so we're gonna have to just go with you, Joel. Go ahead. Before Shopify, were you wondering where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.